Amen. Thank you, Solomon, for those prayers. Good morning, church. Peace of Christ be with you all. And greetings to you, online people. So glad we could gather as one body. You know, I think I love the Word of God. You know, it, um, so often I go to the Word of God and I find encouragement, right? And I find um, just, just feeling deeply loved by God. And um, the sermon is when we um, open the Word of God and um, there is power in the Word of God. Just this week, I, um, this particular verse uh, stands out to me. And I'll tell you why in a second, but I'll read it to you first. So in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the Word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, says, The Bible is the most comforting book. It is also a most discomforting book. Just like, just like the word made life Jesus. Jesus has said many things that made people uncomfortable, many things that offended people, offended people's sensibilities, or political correctness. Now, why am I telling you this? Because he made me uncomfortable this week. When I read his word over and over and over again in preparation for today's sermon, you cannot serve both God and money, says Jesus. Jesus, I totally agree with you. And again, I heard as I read, you cannot serve God and money. Yes, Jesus, yes, we need to preach that. We so need to preach that. And again, I heard, you cannot serve both God and money. You mean me? Surely not I, Lord. Surely. No. I worship you only. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, uh, standing before you this morning humbles me humbles me because you are indeed the Lord God Almighty. And such a God that is so great and mighty would love us so deeply, would love me so deeply, and would love me enough to come and say, hey, come back to the right path. Hey, I am the only one who can give you life and hope. So we thank you. Thank you for your love. And as we open your word this morning, give us ears to hear and open hands to receive what you have to say to us. In your most precious name we pray. Amen. Today we continue our Kingdom Now series and the Bible passage is from the Gospel of Matthew, 
is chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Um, I do have slides, but I'm, I won't be using the slides. I will be reading to you, and I invite you to meditate upon the words as I read um, this morning. Oh, well, it's up there, so you can. Um, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Have you heard of the expression, money talks? Yeah? Oh, I have a thumbs up there. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I think money talks. It's true. And I think it talks very loudly. You know, with money, we can have better living conditions. We can have nicer homes. Uh, maybe you can go to like more prestigious schools. Maybe even better staycation options um, or more dining options. You know, I was, uh, I think it was about a year ago, I was having a conversation with my insurance agent. We were talking about life, just chit-chatting. And I said, cause I don't remember the exact words, but I did say something along the line of, you know, health is so much more important than money. Do we agree? Okay. Um, and then she said, no, money is equally important. You know, Brenda, if you're going to be sick anyway, at least do that in comfort. Then she pulled out this chart, this table, and she showed me all the differences in comfort and amenities level between the different hospitals. And I found myself thinking, ah, maybe you've got a point there. Yeah, it would be nice to have a private room. Yeah, it would be nice to have a private bathroom. And I, you know, apparently there's better food. Um, so um, tell me again, how much is the premium? You know, there's a famous um, wise saying, money can't buy happiness. What do you think of that? Okay. See, I think it can. See, I'm very happy every time I have this nice, piece of juicy, marbled Japanese Wagyu beef, and I bite into it, I'm very happy. I'm also very happy every time I, you know, sit back, sometimes someone will offer that to me, sometimes I have it by myself, a glass of vintage champagne, I'm very happy. I'm also very happy when I get to go on a nice vacation, a nice holiday, you know, nice hotels. And I was also very happy when I got to celebrate with my husband, who is sitting right here, um, our first wedding anniversary at the Ritz-Carlton, where he proposed well, two years ago. I am very happy when I get to take my darling niece, who is also sitting here, to a restaurant and then see her face light up when she eats her favorite pasta or when I took her to Disneyland last week. 
I was very happy when I got to take my dad to a cruise a few years ago because he could no longer afford you know, doing those things because the 1997 financial crisis just totally crippled him, crippled my family. See, who says money can't buy happiness? It cannot, okay, money cannot buy the ultimate happiness or absolute happiness, but this is what I think. Pardon the grammar. I think it can definitely buy happiness. It's true. This, and, and you know what? And this happiness is not all bad, right? Like sometimes, you know, like what I was just describing is in the context of taking care of people you love. You know, and for some, um, it does mean, uh, it means the peace of mind, like of having your kids in a school environment um, where you know they can be safe, right? Or where they can thrive. And sometimes it's about having enough physical space at home, right? So that, you know, you don't like fight with each other because you have no space. And then, you know, we talk about, you know, pre preserving people's mental health and all of those things. See, I think we have to be honest. We have to be honest about the power of money, how it can grip us. Money does talk. And money makes things happen, you know, and including good things. And that's why it's so easy, so easy to serve money, to bow down to money. And so easy to find ways or do things to get more money. And it's so easy to orient our lives around money. See, I, I, I recently saw a video clip. Um, Tim Keller was talking about something else, but then he did say, I can't remember whether it's money or materialism, but it's money... Um, or materialism has the power to get us to choose a job, not one that we love, not one that we are good at, but one that makes us money and gives us status. See, money wants to be served. Money wants to be God in your life and in my life. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, alluding to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. See, I think very often we think of money as a generosity issue, right? And I think, of course, it is a generosity issue, but it's first and foremost an idolatry issue. So money is first and foremost an idolatry issue. Because our generosity flows out of who or what we worship. Do we worship the one true God or the mammon God? Whose kingdom are we on about? The one true God or the mammon God? See, God wants our ultimate allegiance, our ultimate loyalty. You know, not because he's like, I'm, I mean, we, we know that he's a jealous God, but he's jealous for your well-being. He's jealous for the well-being of the world. It's not because he's narcissistic. The world can only flourish when he's right at the center. Idolatry, what is idolatry? Idolatry is the worship of something other than God. And it is always the beginning of injustice and oppression. And if you read through the story of ancient Israel, you'll see again and again and again how idolatry and injustice, they go hand in hand. But so what, what makes idolatry so threatening and so menacing? What about it? 
See, idolatry, idolatry blinds us to God's truth. It affects our vision. Jesus says in verses 22 and 23, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If, you, if it's unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, the Greek word translated as healthy is actually the word single. Jesus literally calls the eye a single eye in Greek, referring to a single-minded devotion to God. See, when we have a single-minded devotion to God, we will be full of light. We will know His heart. We will be kingdom-minded. That's also another way of saying heaven-minded. The way we deal with our money will be in alignment with what we pray. God, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But see, if we worship anything else than God, we become, and this is the, the words of uh, someone who has done extensive uh, research on idolatry um, in the Bible. He says, we become spiritually lifeless and insensitive to God as a piece of wood rock or stone. We become spiritually blind, deaf and dumb, even though we have physical eyes and ears. Do you think that's kind of strong? Yeah, you know, I think that because idolatry is so insidious, it can blind us, that it is actually very important to call it for what it is. See, where money is concerned, one of the ways that we can be blinded is when we are made to believe that we are actually not greedy, not covetous. Greedy? No, 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 not me. Covetous? No, 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 not me. It's actually very clever. So how does that work? I'll, I'll name three ways. Okay, number one. We often begin with the idea that everything I have belongs to me and generosity is how much I want to give away what belongs to me. If I want to hang on to what belongs to me anyway, that's not great, right? Is it? I mean, it belongs to me. I'm not getting somebody else's. That's not great. But you see, Genesis 1 tells us that everything belongs to God, including the skills and the talents and the positions that we have and the ability to make money. See, they are not to be manipulated or stewarded for our own interests, but we are to steward them according to God's heart, the kingdom vision. So that's number one. Number two, we are, if we are entitled to something, it's not great, right? I mean, if something, if we have a rightful claim on that, it's not great, right? Go for it, you deserve it, you've worked hard for it. Take a vacation, you deserve it. Buy yourself an out, you know, a new outfit, you deserve it. You deserve the best life. You deserve the best car. Get the best, you, because you are worth it. You deserve the best. Um, <laughs> I think we live in an increasingly you deserve it culture. And it makes us feel so good. So I did not grow up in a culture where, you know, um, where I was told I deserve anything. And that's the other problem, you know, right to the other end of the spectrum. It's like, no, 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 you don't deserve anything. But then, you know, in the last, when I moved to Canada, um, it was a new environment with new set of friends and new set of, you know, just new community. And I remember thinking, hey, 
This is nice. This makes me feel so good. Oh, I wonder if I should have that muffin there. Oh, Brenda, you deserve it. You just walk 20 minutes from your home to the cafe. Okay, that's really nice. Um, oh, I wonder if I should, you know, buy, you know, whatever. Oh, you deserve it. You have worked so hard for it. And you know what I have to say? It's a very nice feeling. It really is. <laughs> yes, Ivan? <laughs> no, no, I just, um, it is, I, I don't know. It's, and the thing is, marketing really knows how to capitalize on that, right? Um, it's a way to, to entitle us to our desires. But you know what? It can also hide our greed. If I'm entitled to something, if I deserve it, then surely I'm not greedy. Does that make sense, guys? Now, this is not to say that we can't reward or treat ourselves when the occasion calls for it. But you see, when that's the primary narrative that guides our life, that I deserve it, we can lose sight of what others might need when we are so caught up with what we deserve. Um, yeah, I was, just, uh, I was just walking along yesterday um, somewhere near Pacific Place and there was this um, advertisement. Okay, my Chinese is not very good, but I think I managed to pick up words and it's something like, hey, oh, you deserve a great figure. You know, it's a, and, and so again, you know, so this you deserve um, philosophy, you deserve culture um, can really get into us. And I feel like we really have to watch out for that. So, so number one, okay, just uh, reiterating, number one, uh, I, when we think that everything belongs to me anyway, uh, we can justify our greed. Number two, if we feel like we're entitled to something, then it's not greed. It's really not greed. Number three, we might be worshipping in the name of good planning and being responsible another god. This, um, maybe let me know if you know who Baal or Baal is, depending on where you're from. The, that wish real worship, yep, okay, that's helpful. Yeah, so, you know, it was the storm god who could bring rain and make, let, make the land fertile. And Baal worshippers prayed to Baal for rain and for grains. And Israel was supposed to depend on God for providence, for rain and for grain. But they decided to worship Baal too. Now, you see, the thing is, it's not like they say, I don't want to worship you, God, I want to worship you, Baal. It's like, hey, let's do everything together. Um, they did not reject Yahweh. You know, hey, most of them still tithing, still going to the, the, the temple. But you see, Baal was a good backup plan. Just in case, you know, things with God doesn't work out, there's always plan B. Putting our trust in another God. And did you know, church, that Baal God with its, the Baal God with his promises of economic security could gather crowds that outnumbered those who followed Yahweh 20 to 1. How powerful is that? Could we also be putting our trust in another God? That's why we accumulate. Because we want security. You know, I have to confess, okay, this is a hard one for me. So I'm not here preaching at you, but preaching at you, preaching at myself too. 
I mentioned earlier that my dad was, uh, you know, financially crippled. And I was just in the first year of my second degree in Bristol. And I did not have money for anything. No money for fees, no money for accommodation. And I had to seek help. And you see, the thing is, I don't like to be a burden on others. And I think many of you probably feel the same way that I do. I don't like to be a burden. So it was really hard. I mean, God did provide miraculously, but it's just the, I, but it was hard. It was so hard. And the lack of money also led to all kinds of tensions in my family. You know, and I told myself this. I will never allow myself to be in that position ever again. And I became very focused on financial security. I call it being responsible. But it is. It is partially that. But the thing is, you know, I know inside my heart that while I may not be bowing down to a statue, while I may not be worshipping money outright, I worship security. You cannot serve God and money, says Jesus. Where is the line, church? Between security, which is wise, is a good thing, providing for our families, and security, which becomes a personal selfishness, forgetting that there is a world of people out there who have needs. Where is the line between security and the self-sufficiency which no longer requires me to depend upon God of provision, the God of provision? Jesus does not say, give up everything you have, specifically. He can do that. But he's not saying, give up all your planning. Give up all of uh, taking care of family. But what God is saying is, who and what are you worshipping? Am I the only one you're worshipping? In what or whom do you place your ultimate trust? At whose altar will we worship, church? Again, I'm saying this as someone who is walking that journey and wrestling with it. Sometimes I feel like it's easier to trust God for providence when, well, when I don't have a fixed idea of how I want to retire. Um, but I think when we have that and we work towards that, we can be blind to other things. So can we live on less so that we could live a fuller life of love for others? Can we live more simply so that others might have life Simplification is the natural response to a kingdom vision, something that we've been talking about through this series. And in that kingdom, we won't be hoarding up or storing up treasures, but instead living in the bounty of God's gracious provision so we can enjoy what He wants for us to do, which is to serve God and serve others. 
I do not know exactly what it will look like in my life as I'm wrestling through it. And I don't know, and I cannot, I'm not God, I cannot tell you how to live your life. But I do know this, that a radical generosity extends to all of what I own and possess, a generosity that begins with my single-minded devotion to God. I'm going to lead us in a very short prayer. But before I do that, um, I invite you to spend a, a brief moment with God. And let Him speak to you.